This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. This episode is sponsored by Redmond's Real Salt. If you follow my work on Nutrition with Judy, you know that I'm a big fan of using unrefined salts, and one of my favorites is Redmond's. Redmond's was one of the main sponsors of the Carnivore 75 Heart Initial Challenge. Redmond's not only has salts, they also have organic seasonings, which my husband uses all the time to cook with. And they also have toothpaste or earth paste that has no fluoride or chemicals and toxins. I love using earth paste with my kids and even on myself. We also use their facial detoxing supports like their facial mud and bentonite clay. They also have clay baby powder that is safer than conventional baby powders. And most of all, they have my favorite carnivore shirt and sweatshirts that I love to wear while working offline. I'm sure by now most of you use Redmond salt, but if you haven't checked out all their other goods, make sure to go to redmond.life and at checkout use code NWJ to get 15% off your purchase. Make sure to check out Redmond's and let's get back to the show. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole nother thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk,、yeah. get some vitamin D, breathe、yeah. some fresh air,、uh, and, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm here with my co host, Laura Spath. Hey, Laura, how's it going? Hi, Judy. I'm very excited about this topic today. This is one that I am obviously very passionate about. A lot of people aren't, and so I'm anxious <laughs> to get into this topic today and kind of share my thoughts. Yes, so today we are going to talk about all things fasting. What is fasting? Are there variations of fasting, and what does that all mean? So, you know, for you, what is fasting, and kind of how did you come to it? You know, has it evolved through your whole carnivore journey、uh, with fasting? So, for, I mean, fasting is literally just any time that you're not eating food, it's time between meals before I've Started on this journey, there was no such thing. I was just literally eating all day long. I would wake up and be eating from the moment I woke up until like 
long after my kids were in bed. Like it just was a constant grazing. I had barely any moments where I wasn't putting food in my mouth. And so this is a very extreme difference of eating one meal, two meals, or doing intentional time-restricted eating. Um, is there a difference with time-restricted eating and fasting? I don't think so. Do you? No, no, there's yeah, not. Yeah, it's the same thing, <laughs> right? Like, just, I mean, this, whatever you call it, fasting encompasses everything and fast encompasses that time-restrictedness. Or if you eat two meals a day, you are fasting. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll just kind of talk about the labels just so that it's crystal clear what we're talking about. Yeah. So there's obviously the in- intermittent fasting, which is basically anything that's less than 24 hours, right? So if you do OMAD, if you do two meals, if you do three meals without any snacks, if there are, I guess like technically it's anything over, I don't know, is it 12 hours or 16 hours Yeah. of not eating? Um, so if you are just taking a break from eating from 12 to maybe 18 hours, um, maybe even up to 23 hours, um, I guess technically that is considered in intermittent fasting. And I think just between your meals, if you're not having snacks, I can say three meals a day with no snacks is you're fasting between meals or you're just not eating between meals. And I don't think there's a difference, you know, if you are hungry or you're not hungry, it still is time without food. If I eat a big meal and I'm not hungry for 24 hours, right, I'm not eating because I'm not hungry, but it still is, you're still fasting. Yeah, that's one thing I just want to talk about really quickly is so I see a lot of people in this space, they'll come to a ketogenic diet or a carnivore and they're like, I have to fast. So I'm going to fast for 16 hours and I'm going to make sure and just have maybe an eight hour window where I can have two meals or three meals and then they maybe are not digesting well or they're having loose stools. And then I tell them when you are ketogenic or in the carnivore space, you're not having the blood sugar insulin roller coaster. So your blood sugar is not spiking after a meal and then you have an insulin um, um, outpour. So you don't have to worry about that as much. So when you are getting assimilated to this way of eating, it's just better to eat as much meat and just get basically off the sugar, right? Um, as soon as you can, so that then you can just um, eat this way. But you don't have to be like, I need to eat within a few hours um, or within a window because you're not going through that insulin roller coaster. So that's not something you'd want to start in the beginning. Yeah. It's not like you, sh- again, like we talk a lot about don't take on too much at one time. So you don't want to try to like add super strict diet and fasting and all these different things uh, at the same time. This is something I think I agree. This fasting should come over time. Once you've been eating this way for a while, eat as much meat as you need to, to get off of the carbs and to reduce those sugar cravings. And then once you're feeling strong in that way, then you can start to incorporate some other fasting. Yeah. I mean, just from the digestive perspective, I mean, I have some people that are like having loose stools or having heartburn and then they try to eat again within a short period. And it's like, maybe you need to break up your meals in a, you know, a longer span of time. And then they're like, but I'm fasting. And it's like, okay, well, that logic doesn't kind of make sense. You Where's just, the benefit? Yes, yes. So maybe instead, I mean, most people are suggesting if you're doing two meals to do breakfast and lunch or lunch and dinner. But yeah. if they're having those issues that you mentioned, maybe they do need a breakfast and dinner to heal first yes. before you worry about necessarily your eating window hours being yes. a specific way. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up specifically because I, I get that question a lot on social media. Right. It's just... When you're beginning, if you're trying to add a little bit more fat and your body can't tolerate it, it might be it might make sense in that time to just have even four small meals of just meat and fat to get assimilated and to make sure you're absorbing your nutrients. But other than that, um, so one of the things that's really hard for me with this way of eating is that everybody just talks about intuitive eating. 
and like eat as much as you need until you're full and then don't eat again until you're hungry again. And from my perspective and somebody who comes from a food addiction background or overweight, somebody, I don't understand what intuitive eating means. I don't just want to eat when I'm really hungry. I just want to eat all the time. And so from somebody who was constantly eating to go to this way of eating, I needed somebody to literally tell me you can't eat for this number of hours. It wasn't a gut issue that you mentioned. It wasn't a digestive issue. It's a, I don't know how to stop eating and having a tracker or a number of hours that I had to stick to where I couldn't eat was one of the most freeing things and one of the biggest parts of healing I've had on this journey. Like, yes, eating meat helped me feel satisfied. It helped reduce some cravings. It helped me to stay strong. But the fasting is what has helped me overcome some of my issues with emotional eating and addressing eating from boredom and eating from stress. Yeah, I mean, even for me too. So when I was kind of being regimented about even intermittent fasting and I knew, okay, at 8 o'clock I'm no longer going to eat, I made sure that before 8 o'clock I had enough food in my system, right? right? So a good dinner, whereas if I don't have that, then I'm like, well, at 10 o'clock I'll have some cheese or I'll have this. And I feel like I'm snacking a little bit more. But when you know that it's restricted, sometimes people are more regimented in their meals and making sure they get adequate nutrition in that time. Right. It's the only way I could break that late night snacking habit yeah. was just to say, like, you're not allowed to eat. And the boredom eating helped to to go away. And those habits, I helped break those habits by having those time-restricted windows. It also helped me realize that you're not going to die without eating food. <laughs> it was this huge, it was this liberating moment where it's like, you're actually not hungry. Your body is just used to eating at 8 o'clock at night. So you start getting antsy and looking in the cupboards but you wait until the next morning and you realize you're still not even hungry the next morning. It was this huge moment for me of distinguishing the difference between physical hunger and emotional need to eat. And that's been one of the biggest parts of growth that I've had with this way of eating. Yeah. One thing that we have is this finite amount of decision-making throughout a day. And so by the evening we're tired, right? We're tired of what food to eat, uh, what to tell our kids or what to tell our coworkers, or should I do this or should I do that? And so by the end, that is why we're exhausted. We're actually emotionally, physically tired. And so oftentimes people do end up breaking their diet, overeating, snacking at night. And if you just were to actually put a barrier of no after 10 o'clock or whatever works for you, if you put a barrier there, sometimes that actually helps break that. And then now you have this mindset of no, the kitchen is closed after nine o'clock or 10 o'clock. That's late. You stay. I know. I'm just, no, no, I'm just, I just, I didn't want to be like six o'clock, you know, so. Yeah, it depends on your schedule. No, mine was always around eight o'clock. Yeah, and I'm somebody who goes to bed a lot earlier. So you have to, you have to adjust. I think that's the hard part too. When you're learning from other people, you can't be mirroring what other people are doing. And this is true with everything that you do, but no fasting, what works for me, it does not work for Judy. And it's not going to work for you either. You kind of have to find that over time, but, um, I also know just from a health perspective, right, my husband and my mom were both type 2 diabetic. They had been doing keto and carnivore and both been very regimented about what they were eating and neither one of them could get their blood sugar under control. Mm -hmm. And the only way that they were able to do that was to incorporate fasting. And so for them, insulin resistance, blood sugar regulation only came from fasting and really just kind of driving all that sugar out of your fatty liver or however that works, right? And and really regulating your blood sugar. But what do, when you say they started fasting to balance it, what do you mean by, like, yeah. was that extended fasting? Was that 
So we really followed a lot of what Dr. Jason Fung uh, talked about in and Jimmy Moore in the Complete Guide to Fasting, and they really get into 36-hour fasts. Or mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Fung's book, The Diabetic Code, talks about a 36-hour fast is the most ideal thing for blood sugar regulation. And that was the hardest part my mom had. She thought we had an eating disorder, and she <laughs> thought that we were starving ourselves. And then when she saw Chris get off of all his medications, she saw his blood sugar regulate, That did not happen until he started fasting more than 24 hours. And even now I see, I do, you know, I used did one meal a day for a really long time and it worked great, but there is some magic that happens in my body specifically. When I go past 24 hours, my ketones shoot up, my blood sugar regulates, uh, and all same thing with my husband and my mom, they were able to completely regulate their blood sugar after 24 hours uh, and moving into the 36 to 48 hour range. Yeah, I think Jason Fung also talks about in one of those books, because I've read several of his books too. And if you guys haven't checked him out, he is a great writer. He can break down the most complicated science in the most digestible way. But if you listen to his information, he also says that the 36 hour mark is where women start really losing weight. And so if you are doing OMAD, he actually talks about how that's just maintenance and that you're not going to, I mean, obviously if you have a lot of weight to lose and you go all of a sudden from eating three meals a day plus snacks, then you start trying OMAD, you'll lose weight, obviously. But let's say in general, you've been doing carnivore for a while and you eat OMAD consistently, uh, your body's going to start thinking that's your circadian rhythm of eating and that that is your maintenance, that you're not technically almost fasting. This is just your new normal of eating. And so that's where Jason Fung says, if you're at a weight that you're happy with, that's where you should do OMAD. Otherwise, you should be tricking your body, doing some 36-hour. For women, it's kind of 36, and that's the equivalent for men is about 18 in terms of weight loss, not necessarily in terms of like the glucose diabetic and stuff. But yeah, so anything I think also over 24 hours, you know, that's what people consider extended fasting. I hear a lot of people say, oh, I do OMAD and I extended fast, but I don't think technically that's really extended fasting. Yeah, I think it goes beyond that. I think there is something that happens for me specifically at that, past that. 48 hours has been my magic for weight loss when I'm trying to lose weight, but breaking a stall, anything that I need to do. I really do stay at maintenance most of the time on a carnivore diet. Now, you know, when I was 260 pounds, I lost weight switching, like you said, just because of the dramatic change. But really the majority of my weight loss has come from eating carnivore and then incorporating 48 hour fast to kind of keep that weight ticking down. I usually don't gain it back again, Mm -hmm. much of it. Um, because I'm able to with maintain it with the carnivore, but every time I fast, I'll drop a little bit. Yeah. So when you first had your mom start fasting, so did she just go from multiple meals to then like maybe two meals on carnivore and then started 36 hour fasting? I think there's a step down to it. It definitely needs to be natural. One of the things that's also mentioned by, uh, in those complete guide to fasting books is that fasting is a muscle. You have to build up to it. Yes. Thinking right now that a 48-hour fast feels very overwhelming and feels impossible, and it might be, honestly. I didn't jump right into that in the first place. We started with three meals a day plus snacks and weaned down to two meals, and then the next thing I knew, one meal was feeling very natural. And when you're eating one meal a day, if you get really busy on a day, skipping one day doesn't really feel that hard. So go to the 36. Try Get yourself to 24, and once that's comfortable, then just try pushing it. Instead of eating lunch to lunch, go lunch one day to dinner the next day. Or lunch one day, and then get really busy, get out of the house, get yourself distracted for a day, and then go to breakfast the next day. So 48 hours for 48 hours for me doesn't 
really feel that long if I go lunch on Sunday to lunch on Tuesday, as long as I make sure that my, you know, Monday keeps me really busy uh, and distracted. Yeah, and that's why it, it really... Again, this whole fasting thing, your how many meals you eat, it really depends on your own journey. But you, you know, you just need to schedule things to be really busy. What I will say is that most people I meet say the af- the hump after twenty four hours, like going through a day and sleeping without eating, is right. the hardest stretch for them. And so that's where again, you should just initially get to two meals a day without snacks, and then if you um, are able to do OMAD pretty easily. And then you can try, I guess, um, you know, maybe 28 hours and then 32 and then 36, but work up to it. I mean, I don't think anyone should really do extended fasting. So again, over 28 hours um, before maybe you hit like three to six months in. I don't know. When did you start? Like, let's talk your journey because I think you're the uh, like a great person to kind of share this. Yeah, I started um, in March, um, like a March of that year with just keto and and eating really clean and working on my diet, but I was still eating many, many times a day. Okay. I would say by June or July, I was down to one meal a day. Okay. So it took, you know, what's that four or five months to get down to one meal a day. And I kind of just cut things out over time. And then it wasn't really until then later that fall when I started doing anything longer than that. So it probably was like late July when I started doing a 48 hour fast. I've been doing this for several months I think that's been important for me where anytime I've tried to correct a bad eating behavior with fasting is when things kind of spiral and cause me to end up falling off the wagon or having, um, you know, just food cravings and feeling terrible. First of all, like fasting for me can never be a corrective behavior. I also don't think that's healthy mentally. Um, it needs to be something where I'm super clean. My diet's in line. I'm mentally feeling strong. And then fasting is a tool to help push my weight loss forward. And so at the height of my weight loss, I was doing two 48-hour fasts a week, meaning I was eating five meals in one week. Right. Um, Again, not saying that's ideal, but it just is what I did. And I mean, it it might just work for some people, right? So some people ask me, Judy, I really want to do a 10-day fast. And I said, why don't you just have two split up five-day fasts? Because I think the other thing that Jason Fung and those books say is that after 36 hours, it's not like your metabolism increases. Um, it does. Once you hit about 32, 36 hours, your metabolism actually increases more than when you started the fast. But after that, it just kind of stays consistent. But I think that's important to mention because most people think that when you fast like this and you, you're killing your metabolism and your body's shutting down and going into starvation mode. So why doesn't it do that? So it's all hormone related. So when you feel hunger... It's normally ghrelin. There's leptin. That's the satiety mechanism. So a lot of times if you've had weight issues um, in your life, that's where the whole intuitive eating becomes really hard because you're not able to really listen to the cues. There's also like something they believe is like leptin resistance where your, I guess your cues from leptin, which makes you feel full is you can't hear it or it's resistant. It's just not working as well. And so that's where fasting can become beneficial because all of these start kind of working again, right? So think about your body. It's not having to digest all this food and now it can focus on everything else as repair to kind of fix the body and t- get it back to normal. So your your stomach, your pancreas, your liver is no longer trying to sift through toxins and nutrients and absorbing. And instead, it's going to use all that other time of like, whoa, we can actually work on the body to heal. And I mean, that's where autophagy comes in. If you do extended fasting, there will be other benefits than weight loss. There's, 
you know, cell cleanup where if you have damaged cells, I mean, some people argue that cancers come from, you know, fast growth of cells and then mutated cells. But, you know, the argument is that sometimes when you do um, extended fasting, and sometimes this is maybe over 48, 72 hours, and I don't know what that means in the world of a meat-based, no, not much carbohydrate diet, like when that really kicks in of autophagy. But the whole thing is that if you're not eating, your body can go around the immune system and can mop up and clean up old cells, reuse them, and some of them just be killed and like taken out of your system. And that's why some people even four days in still have stools, which is crazy. I definitely do. I know that like I've done, I try to not do an extended fast that long more than a couple times a year. Yeah. Um, mainly because I'm, I don't use that for a weight loss. I've done a five day, six day, seven day fast, but I really stick to like, you know, three times a year, I would say max, um, just as a way to clean out my body. But even still on day four and day five, I'm still like pooping. It's just strange. I realized I didn't fully answer your question about the metabolism. Obviously like this is not my specialty cause I don't focus on just weight loss, but the whole thing is it's all hormone related, right? Yeah. So as your body's kind of removing toxins, clearing up, your hormones are getting better balanced. And I mean, it just works with your thyroid and hormones. And it's just, as your body is healing, it actually metabolizes faster. I mean, that's just what the science shows that after a short period, um, even if you lose a little bit of lean body mass while you're fasting, so you may lose a little bit of muscle, but as soon as you start eating whatever muscle you lost, and again, this is where your diet's really important and eating a lot of meats and proteins are so important and then uh, possibly doing some resistance training, but it's not scientifically true to say that um, fasting will slow down your metabolism. Whoever says that, it's just, it's not, I mean, it's just not true. Yeah, it's not like you need to eat the six meals a day. I don't even know if scientists say that anymore, or if it's just what common people think is common knowledge, but it's not. You're eating six meals a day is not what's increasing your metabolism. Yeah, that is not a true statement. So when people are like, oh, you need to eat a little, it's, it's more of the blood sugar regulation. Right. And I mean, there's so many arguments against that too. But in general, whether you eat three meals a day versus five small meals, your metabolism has no difference. I like doing longer fasts, like I said, a couple times a year for other reasons, for healing reasons. Yeah, that's the autophagy especially. And I feel better. I definitely feel rejuvenated from that, but I don't necessarily find that's my best solution for weight loss. For me, a a well-placed 48-hour fast is like that kick in the pants for weight loss Um, and even doing, you know, incorporating those every once in a while. And even now that I'm eating two meals a day, I still incorporate a 48 hour fast. I try to at least once a week, um, if not at least two or three times a month. And that's where I'm always finding the best results for weight loss specifically. Yeah. And then if you're also, again, if you're leptin and your ghrelin need kind of balancing, that's where that the fasting will always kind of heal that. And so that's where I think it's a really beneficial thing. Now, the problem I'm seeing in the space is that most people use fasting as a tool to compensate, right? I just had a crazy weekend of partying, so I'm going to start the week off right. I'm going to fast. I'm not going to eat for two days. And then they try to just go, well, that'll get me really quickly into ketosis again. Right. And then I'm going to eat. But it will, though. It, it will. will. It's, it's just going to suck. <laughs> yes. And then most people then because they're just getting off sugar and it's like right and it's not like, okay, yeah. now I'm just going to eat meat. A lot of times then people will tend to binge. And so that's where the risk is 
of if you're not in a good place and you use these extended fasts, it's not ideal. So Laura, like she just mentioned, she uses it when she's in a good place. And it's like, oh, okay, I mean, it doesn't seem like a big deal if I even just skip one more meal because I'm in a good place. But if you're using it again to compensate or to balance a binge, it's just you just have to know where you are. And if you're using it to compensate, to restrict, all of these things are not what fasting is meant for. I think people always think they're going to sit around and just be starving all the time. And that's the difference, too. If you are coming from eating sugar, you are going to be hungry because your body's freaking out and looking for sugar. And it's forcing itself very quickly into ketosis. And you're kind of like forcing that upon yourself. But if you're in a good place, like you're I don't get hungry when I'm fasting. This is not torture. I'm not just sitting around. I mean, you get bored of not eating, to be honest. I like sometimes just want to eat something because I'm bored. But I'm not sitting around starving or like feeling really deprived about it. Um, Megan Ramos often talks about fasting as like cleaning out the refrigerator of your body. And I love that analogy. Yeah. Like my body is still eating when I'm fasting. It's just eating the cake that I ate on that <laughs> random Tuesday when I probably shouldn't have eaten cake. And I have that like sitting on my stomach right now. And so, you know, it's your body's eating. It's fueling itself with fat and it's fueling itself with the fat from your body. And it is true. So let's just talk about some of the concerns, right? So one is one is that your, um, you know, people said the metabolism, and we just talked about that's not true. Another one is that you may lose some muscle, and therefore you need carbs, some, something like that's going around the space as well. So it's true that you can lose a little bit, but it's just temporary. As soon as you eat, it's supposed to go right back up. So the whole idea of really losing lean body mass is actually not true as well. Now, if you're not fueling your body right when you start eating again then that's not ideal, right? So when you actually eat after 48 hours, if you're not eating sufficient calories or macros for your body, then yes, you are going to start under eating. That will damage your hormones. So then again, it's where you have to be really honest with yourself. After a 48-hour fast, you're not super hungry, right? So you don't technically, you can get away with eating like 800 calories, but you can't do that long-term or you're going to mess up your hormones. And so I really think that's where the hormone... The issues are coming. It's not the fasting. Yes, fasting does affect your cortisol, but it's not the biggest reason. I mean, we have issues with cortisol all over our cultures, our populations. Most people are not fasting. It is not the fasting. It is not the lack of carbs. I mean, right? So it's the under eating. And if you want to talk about that. Just that, I think that's more than anything. There are so many people who are chronically under eating every day. And I was one of those people when I got to my lowest weight, I thought like that what I was eating was enough food. Um, I was eating a pound or a pound and a half of ribeye and thought that that was enough. And then I could continue to fast. But calorically, especially because there wasn't as much fat on those, it was a really low amount. And so any hormone issues that I've had was a combination of like under eating, over exercise and fasting and sleep issues and a lot too thin, like all of those things combined. And over the course of three years of doing this way of eating, I had about six months where I wasn't having a cycle that I've talked a lot about. But again, it was the combination of all of those things. And the rest of those three years, I have been a regular faster but I was not also adding in those other factors. And so was it a contributing factor? Sure, but there was a a handful of things that were causing my issues when over the course of those three years, you know, I've been able to have regular fast, be healing, have weight loss, blood sugar regulation, and not had any hormone issues. The crazy part is that when people say eating a meat-based diet or fasting changes, wrecks your hormones, and it's, it's crazy because 
If you change your macros in your diet, your hormones will change. Right. So all of a sudden, if your period is late or your period comes super early, it is normal. We are changing the macros and the way that our body feels itself. All of these things are changing. Our hormones are changing, right? So you may have less cortisol being outputted by eating less sugar. Um, when you fast, you may not be you know, relying on these other hormones. So all of this gets impacted. So sure, your period may change, but... Give it six months of um, trying to eat meat-based and then adding some fasting. And if you do it right and you feed your body right, I mean, typically your hormones actually get better balanced. Yeah, I think it's just important to make sure that you're eating enough, like you said, during the rest of the time. Make sure you're getting enough fat uh, and getting enough protein. There has to be a balance of that. So now that you do 48-hour fasts and you eat meals, are you are you regular with your period? Oh, yeah, like to the letter. I have an app that tells me and like I could tell you my I'm more accurate than that. Like I'm exactly to the day, to the minute, like exactly. Okay, so another thing that always comes up in the space is fasting is miserable. I'm so hungry. I feel so low energy. Like what's your thoughts on that? Um I don't experience that. I think Chris will tell you, like my husband will tell you that he gets hungry and like doesn't enjoy it as much. I think the difference there is that he doesn't really eat a lot of fat normally. Oh yeah. I think he tends to eat lower or lower fat, higher protein most of the time. And so to me, that's the difference. He might not agree with me. Um, I don't find that again. I find that I just like get anxious and like won't get bored of not eating anything. And you feel like it's, that's part of your routine and you should be eating something. But if I can get busy and get distracted and be out of the house, I literally don't think about it. And it's just sometimes nice to have a break from actually eating or worrying about what you're cooking or how you're going to get food. If I have a travel day or I'm out running errands all day, it's really easy to fast because I'm not hungry. I'm not miserable. I'm not watching the clock. It just, you say distracted and you still feel satisfied. Yeah, you, uh, we actually have a circadian rhythm of eating. So if you normally always eat your meal at 12, even if you're fasting, you will feel a little bit. And again, it's just that. that. It's just a little bit of the hormones. You can drink some sparkling water. That bubbly will kind of help with that. But in general, that's where, again, the whole 36 hours, I think actually it might be more than that. I think it's around the two or three day mark of fasting that your ghrelin starts going down, which is the hunger hormone, and then your leptin starts increasing. So then once you hit about two and a half, three days is when you no longer ever feel hungry. And so again, it's if you are just coming to carnivore and then you think, okay, I'm going to start doing intermittent fasting, I'm going to start cutting all my meals, then it will probably be really hard to fast. But again, like Laura was saying, it's a muscle. If you continue to just try fasting, but slowly get into it. You shouldn't have the struggles. There are really truly benefits in fasting um, for most people. And then in terms of um, Chris, with I think some of it's the fat, absolutely. But for men, they don't have to fast as much as women to get the benefits of weight loss. And I'm just specifically talking about weight loss yeah. as women do. Why you, I mean, you hear the opposite. You hear that men can fast as much as they want, but then women shouldn't be fasting is the stuff that I hear that's spoken out most of the time. Yeah. I know that there's a trend right now where we should just fast around certain cycles of our um, period and that certain times are better than others. And okay, again, this is that whole thing about that may have some truth to it and merit. But again, I don't think back in the yesteryears, people were tracking when they're getting their period and they're like, well, 
I'm going to fast and not eat the animal we captured, right? So you just have to find what works for you. I have never tracked my fasting based on my cycle. And some days, I mean, sometimes I did a five-day fast. Sometimes I just did the two-day. And I never thought, oh, wait, it's because of my period. And maybe it could have been. But I think it's so nuanced. I don't think we need to worry about that. And then eat certain foods right around our period it may be a hack that works for you, but that doesn't mean that everyone should, again, be following these rules. I tend to find, like, it's different. Some people say they're hungrier or not as hungry. And I've done the same thing as you. I've done a full fast over my cycle or not and around it. And I felt differently. But sometimes if I find I lose my appetite and, like, nothing sounds really good at all, I know I'm ready for a fast. Mm-hmm. If, like, no food sounds, oh, I don't feel like eating meat again, okay, we'll take a break. You know what? After 48 hours, a steak, any kind of meat sounds really good at (laughs) that time. And I tend to find that I lose my appetite a little bit and I'll just really decide I'm ready for a 40-hour fast. And then the next thing you know, I'm like, oh, today's the first day of my cycle. Like, it happens like that more often than not where just naturally I kind of lose my appetite right around that same time. Yeah. And I mean, people really just need to find what works for them. Some people, and we'll get into this in a different podcast, but I have some clients that are trying to lose weight and they're like, I just cannot do fasting and I'm like fine you can't do fasting so then we try some of that like protein sparing modified fasting again we'll talk about that later where but essentially they're eating mostly protein without fat on one day their calories are a lot lower but then I have some clients that are like I can't do that I'd rather just extended fast but that's how I am I can't eat low calorie I can't eat less fat I can't yeah. eat leaner meats I don't want to do those things. I want to just eat what I want to eat as far as meat goes. I want to add some fat. I want it to be delicious and amazing. And then I'll take a break. Same thing. If I cut out cheese, I probably wouldn't need to fast as much because I wouldn't be having some of those other issues. But I would rather eat the cheese and then take a break for a day. Yeah. No, no, no. And that's your life balance. My weight. Yeah, no. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, Do you think if you got to maintenance mode that you would still do extended fasts? Yeah, absolutely. I think that I would do it probably twice a year at least. Yeah. Do a three or four or five days just to continue to heal my body. People say it fixes your loose skin and I believe in the science behind all of that. But like, ma'am, I have fasted a lot (laughs) and I'm sorry, but like how many years are we talking here? Because for three years I have done regular fasting and it's, I still got a lot of loose skin and maybe it takes a lot of years. Who knows? But I don't necessarily do it for those benefits, but I do find a lot of value in just regulating my hunger. I find that over time, I just want to eat more and more and more. And doing a fast like that really helps me. I mean, it makes sense with what you said with those hormones, because I think they kind of get out of control for me a lot. And honestly, I mean, this is getting kind of religious, but, you know, God incorporated fasting because that's when you took that time to focus on God. Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't have to be God, right? But it's just... When we're kind of preoccupied with, okay, what am I going to feed the family today? Uh, what food should I be eating for lunch and then dinner? And obviously, we don't have that much of a preoccupation on a meat-based diet, but it still takes time, right? So when you're not eating, you can just get more stuff done. You could just yeah. have a lot of other things and not have your day centered around your meals. And we do that. We say, okay, I'm just going to work until lunch. I'm just going to do this until dinner. Right, but what if we don't have those breaks and we can actually focus on other things and then also let our bodies heal? Absolutely. I try to pick my busiest days for a lot of reasons, but I can be way more productive. And then it's also nice to not have to do that. I do think you mentioned something that made me think. A lot of people ask, how can I fast when I'm cooking for everybody else in my family? 
and they have a hard time with that, which I do understand. It's easier for me to fast as a working parent who's out of the house, but Chris is a stay-at-home dad and has to feed the kids three meals a day and has a hard time. It's harder for him to fast for those reasons or if you're cooking for your family. Um, Well, I did that. So I used to extend it fast often, and I just don't because I'm so busy, but... What, during those times, um, I don't know, I, I, maybe the first time you do it, you do feel like you're kind of salivating. But then, because I did a seven-day fast and I cooked almost every day. The first two days, because I knew that your ghrelin is kind of higher, so you feel kind of hungrier, especially during the times that you normally eat. So those two days, I just asked Kevin to cook. And then after that, I cooked every day and I had no issues. Um, maybe like one time I might have felt like a little bit of salivation in my mouth, but you just get used to it. I, I think do. people are just... So scared. And then there's all this stuff about women's hormones. Carnivores don't need a fast. Um, this is not necessary. And it's just, I'm. it's in every religion, every culture. And if you think about back in the day, even our great grandparents, they didn't have the plethora of food that we have now. And so there were mealtimes. Then they had to go to the farms. Right. So our mealtimes are based on farmers back in the day so when the sun would come up the sun would go down and that's how they made our meals and so they had to eat big meals because then they'd be out on the yard working our farm working all day and until they can come back and eat a bigger meal and that's essentially intermittent fasting right um one thing i wanted to say is that so i don't fast a lot and just being fully candid every time i do a 48 hour fast from my previous history of eating disorders there have been some times where i noticed I want to binge and I wonder if it something in my body my brain remembers my periods of restriction as like an anorexic and so it's like eat 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 right so maybe my cortisol burns way higher than yours and so sometimes I notice that I kind of binge and then it feels kind of out of hand Um, I feel a little loss of control and so for me with my history I feel like Maybe the extended fast for now aren't as beneficial. And what I mean by extended in this way is the 48. But I still do at least one to two times a year, like the five day or seven day, because I want to make sure that I'm cleaning up dead cells in my body and doing healing. If I've been touching something carcinogenic, if I've been using a lot of plastics, drinking bad waters, that's the time when it can happen. And so I think everyone if they can handle it, should do these really longer term fasts at least a couple times a year. So when you're eating daily, how many meals and what does your daily fasting routine look like? Yeah, so I eat two meals a day. I'm honestly never really hungry, except again, if I'm eating at the same time every day, that's when I'll eat. And I just eat that time. And I notice there's never the desire to binge, um, purge, any of that stuff. So two meals, sometimes I'll have some snacks. I definitely notice my weight go up when I'm not as consistent with the snacking part. So if I remember, I was telling you about the cheese and stuff. Yeah. Um, but are you snacking because you're hungry or are you snacking? Oh, no, just, that yeah. is totally. Oh, I just had a hard client. I need to go down and reward myself with some cheese or, oh, it's the end of the night. I finished work. Let's um, eat some cheese. Right. Um, and we have so much cheese because our family loves, you know, making low carb quesadillas and all and uh, other stuff. But so, yeah, for me, it just kind of worked out now. If I really wanted to get on, so I have like probably an extra 10 pounds I'd love to lose. And part of it's like, I know I need to work out a little bit more. I think I'm a fan of at least getting three days of movement in, but maybe the extended fasting would help me. But again, I have to remember and um, honor my history of an eating disorder. I think so you is, and I are very different in yes, that. Yes, because I had this 
nonstop eating mentality or I couldn't stop eating in an overeating mentality Yeah. when yours was more of a restriction and totally. to punish yourself if you did overeat. So I think that is very good to bring up. And I think there are people that shouldn't fast for the reasons that you mentioned. So like there were times in college, I remember that I used to work out at the gym for like two to three hours, but I only ate like 500 calories and I got super skinny. But then guess what happened after a few months? I ended up binging like crazy. And that's how really, I mean, that's how I started getting sick. And so I wonder if my brain remembers that time and uh, times after that of really restricting. Right. And so it's like, oh no, she's again in starvation mode. And so as soon as she eats, let's have her eat a lot. Right. I think the mental part of fasting is huge to remember. It's I think it's why I, I needed to do it because I was the opposite. My mom would go out of town when I was in high school. And I just remember going to the grocery store and getting literally <laughs> a cart full of junk food that I was not normally allowed to have. Mm-hmm. And I would go back to the house and I would watch TV for like three days and just eat junk food and order pizza nonstop. And like that was my comfort of kind of dealing with, you know, stuff at the time. Um, but I think the mental part of fasting is the biggest thing from what you're talking about or from just people having a hard time. If they're dealing with what you're dealing with, it's not a good time to be fasting. I agree. But if it's just that you're, there's other times where you mentally should just push through it and suck it up maybe. Yeah. Uh, But not with what you're talking about. Yeah. And again, it just really depends on your situation. So if you've been carnivore for a while and you are having a weight loss stall, then it may be the time where you can try it. And, you know, again, there's so much fear mongering around fasting is so detrimental for your health. And it's just, where where's the science other than people arguing about the thyroid and I'm I'm sorry it's just yeah there's a stigma with that I think and I mean again my mom said that she thought it was an eating disorder so a lot of yes. people who are not in this space are not going to understand it I mean we obviously see people in this space don't understand it but educating yourself reading those books you know like we mentioned Dr. Jason Fung is an excellent resource and he's not even this strict crazy carnivore guy like he's a very mainstream well understood doctor and the clinics that they do uh, are very knowledgeable and respected as far as fasting information goes yeah and i remember when i was listening to his podcast a long time ago they said that people that followed a ketogenic diet it was easier for them to do the extended yeah. fast but they also recognize that not everyone wants to eat that way so then for those people they may recommend fasting a little bit longer so they could get the more autophagy benefits but for someone that's carnivore keto, they may get into autophagy so much faster. Sometimes if I've been like very dialed in and very mm-hmm. clean on my diet, when I get to that 36, 48 hour mark, my ketones skyrocket yeah. and mm-hmm. like really get into that super deep ketosis very fast. And then I'm like, dang, my diet's been on point lately. But if I've been having too much cheese or too much snacking and stuff then it's harder to fast, first of all. And I can tell it takes my body a little bit longer to get dialed up from that. But Yeah, you know when I first started, I've just been thinking, but when I first started keto, I got really into fasting and I was doing one meal a day and then I was eating very little. So I lost weight really quickly. I got to almost one of my leanest weights. And I'm thinking about how much I ate during my meals, but it was really small. So I had maybe, so it was definitely less than a thousand calories. And it wasn't the fasting that was the issue it was my under eating under eating and not yeah. getting enough nutrients when i when i stopped being able to eat as much at one time i realized i had to switch to two meals and my body had to do a little catching up at that point because i had been under eating trying to force myself to do one meal right. longer than it was helpful for me it worked for a long time but at some point i just couldn't eat enough 
so that it was healthy anymore. And so those are kind of people who shouldn't fast. You mentioned, obviously, with your background with disordered eating is not a great time for you. Yeah, I don't make it weekly. Yeah. Um, But I don't snack. So, like, I guess technically I still fall into the intermittent fasting. I bet you if I really tracked when I eat from night to the next day, I bet you there's sometimes it's 20 hours. But I just don't track because I don't want to obsess about it. I don't want to be like, oh, I'm going to hit 22 or whatever else. I think that's important. It doesn't need to be something that you do every day. It can be a goal to push you to. It can be something that's a good tool for you. But you don't have to like, oh, sorry, friends, I can't go out to lunch today because I'm not at my 20 hours yet. Like there's a balance of real life. Like go have lunch with your friends. If I have this is another thing I'm going to say. It, I I intend to fast a lot. I have a goal. I'm going to do a 48-hour fast. I'm going to do a 72-hour fast. And then sometimes one of two things happen. Something comes up, and I get invited somewhere, and food sounds fun. And so guess what? I break my fast, and I eat, and I go get some chicken wings. Or I go eat steaks with my girlfriends or do something. Another thing happens is I get midway through this fast and decide, like, you know what? It's not happening. I don't feel good. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. Mentally, I'm not checked in. Like, it's not happening. That is not a fail. It's a fail if I cave and eat donuts. Yeah. It is not a fail if I change my mind and eat some wings or eat a ribeye early. Like, you know what? I plan to do a 48-hour fast and I hit 24 and just, I just wanted some steak. And I ate a steak and I felt great. That is a change of plans. It is not a fail. Yeah, and that's really good. And I think the reason why you could, again, think of the fast that way is because you're in a good place. Yeah. But think about a lot of people that are eating maybe terrible for a little bit and they're like okay i'm gonna start with a five-day fast go really clean and then if they stop within a day and a half and go back to eating pizza it'll be exactly yeah the easiest way is to go back to those foods because and then they get really hard on themselves like the fasting didn't work but again the context is so different from you you're already eating clean so you're just like okay i'm gonna break the fast and go back to eating a steak today right so that is so different i think we just really have to think about why are people using fasting and are they using it in the right ways? Are we using it in the right ways? And then are we under eating at all? And if those things are happening, then, you know, maybe fasting isn't right for you at that time. Yeah. And maybe that's a person who should mentally try to focus on that and yeah. push themselves for that. Somebody who's in your situation or pregnant or breastfeeding or other categories of people, it doesn't mean everybody should fast. I just personally think that more people should than what is typically talked about. I, I agree. In, a, in in the right context, I just think when people do do it, they're not always doing it in the right context. Yes. So they're not eating. Because a lot of people think about it. If you're a well-oiled machine and things are going well, other than maybe you want to lose a little bit of weight or something, but if you're eating consistently good, why would anyone think, okay, well, I'm going to change it and add up more. They're just not going to want to do anything. So most people then use fasting with, okay, I've been eating not so clean or I'm overeating or I want to really lose weight fast for the next few weeks and then they'll fast. And maybe that's not ideal. So again, it's... That's not going to set you up for success. I think the other piece that doesn't really set people up for success very well is just not doing proper electrolytes. First of all, if you've been coming from bad food, your body is depleting electrolytes in general. If you're in a good place, your body is probably pretty primed with electrolytes. And so I don't think we're going to talk about like recipes of electrolytes. Judy actually has some YouTube videos on that kind of stuff and recipes and information on that. But having proper electrolytes is a huge factor and key for having successful fasting. And electrolytes doesn't mean like a smart water or a Gatorade light or those things don't actually have electrolytes. (laughs) It's the actual, you know, sodium, potassium, magnesium, like the 
true electrolyte supplements. Um, I have also found in the beginning, I needed those a lot more often. Yeah. And the longer that I do this, the more efficiently my body is running anyway. And I don't need electrolytes now until I really get past about like 48 hours. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So you don't use any electrolytes. Do you use salt within the first 48 hours? No. Really? It depends that's on amazing. how, I mean, I'll say it depends on how I feel. Okay. And it depends on kind of where I'm at. If I start getting a little bit of a headache or feeling drained, I know I need electrolytes. I would not recommend this for people if you have not been regularly fasting for three years. In the very beginning, if I went past 16, 18 hours, I needed electrolytes. Even just on a daily basis, as I was getting off of the carbs, I needed electrolytes. Um, And then for a while, for a couple years, if I went past 24 hours, I needed to supplement with electrolytes. Um, And now it's, unless I'm feeling bad or or have a headache or something, uh, I really don't. Yeah, and you should obviously honor your body compared to whatever the average person says. So when you are doing the 48-hour fast or at the 48-hour mark, do you also drink a lot of water or do you not drink that much? I I mean, I do because you and I talk about this. Like, I just drink a lot in general. I drink a lot with my meals, which Judy knows is bad. (laughs) It's so bad for your digestion and your gut health. But I'm just like a But you don't have the symptoms. Drinker. I don't know. Okay, so yeah, that's... But I don't, I am careful because I think you can force too much water. That is a good point is you can force too much water and force too much electrolytes. And in some ways, like if you're drinking too much water, you're almost flushing out your body's natural electrolytes. So because I'm not eating meals, I don't drink a lot of water with my meals. Um, I don't really track how much water I drink. I really just drink to thirst over those fasts. And so I am careful not to force water because then I'm not flushing out all those electrolytes. Yeah, that's the only thing I'll say about the hydration is obviously listen to your own body. But if you drink like 10 ounces of water and you just gulp it down, you know, sometimes like after you do some hard exercise and you drink a lot of water, some people's stomach hurts. It's just if you put a lot of water in your system, then your kidneys have to kind of process all of that and it can be a tax on your kidneys. So that's where it's not ideal. And then like you also said, it can affect your um, balance of your electrolytes within your body and then if your water is not the most ideal that can also throw off electrolytes as well so that's just the fyi on that and there's a lot of factors there you'll want to do your own research on that and dig more into that we're not um going to give you specific recipes because there's too many variables and there's so much context that needs to be addressed i think the point that we're trying to make with all of this is that it is healing it is scientifically proven it is a real (laughs) it is not um this you know dangerous Eating disorder. Eating disorder. Hopefully you're aware of that. And if you're in this community and if you've made it this far anyway, but I get so passionate about it and I get, I do get a little defensive probably when I hear people talking negatively about it um, because it has been the, one of the biggest factors for me, uh, if not the biggest and for my mom and for my husband. And it has been what has saved my life and made all the difference with this way of eating sustainable for me. Yeah, so if you have blood sugar imbalances, if you are not able to get your blood sugar down, if you are um, just having a lot of insulin resistance where your weight is just not coming off, you should consider, and especially if you've been eating clean carnivore, a clean meat-based diet, you can, you know, I would recommend considering an extended fast. And that just means slowly work up to OMAD or one meal a day and then maybe try to go to 28 and then 32 and then 36 and then check your blood sugar along the way like if you do a 32 48 hour fast one to two times a week where is your general blood sugar 
And if it's helping, then maybe that's the sign that your body actually likes it. And the important balance to that is when you're not fasting, eat some really good, amazing nutrition. Fuel your body enough. Fuel it with the right foods. Move your body. Enjoy it. Get outside. Listen, you know, be with your family, have a fulfilled life and let that be the balance of fasting and feasting and really giving your body that balance. Yeah. So I think our real takeaway is if you're stalling and when we say stalling, it's this is really about weight loss and I guess even healing in some areas. I mean, when you rest the gut, your body can work on healing the gut. I mean, if when you are not eating, you can heal your insulin resistance and same with blood sugar balance. But If you just feel like you need a break, sometimes it's okay to go without food. We will survive. I think we've become a culture where we're thinking that in order to balance blood sugar, we need to eat every two to three hours. In order to balance our hormones, we need to eat every two, three hours. And I mean, I'm really going to just make you guys wonder, like, think about it. We've been eating this way for many, many decades now. How much healthier are we? It's important to listen to your body throughout this time. If you're finding that you're weak, if you're having headaches, if you're feeling shaky, those are signs that you need to break your fast. It also could be a sign of electrolyte imbalance, but that's not the time to fix it. It's you're past the moment of fixing it. It's it's time to eat now. It's time to be safe. It is important to have a, a buddy in all this or like, you know, have some accountability will help you go longer, but make sure you are checking in with your body uh, and don't be so obsessed with hitting a specific number goal or hours of fasting that you push yourself too far. Yeah, and if you start fasting and then you start feeling like the hypoglycemic episode of shaking, then that is a sign of the blood sugar dysregulation. Your body should be able to fast naturally, assuming that you've been, again, eating a ketogenic meat-based diet, you're um, eating enough, you have the right electrolytes, and then, so, but if you start getting shaky, maybe 18 hours in, then you're probably a great candidate of fasting, honestly. Yeah, so maybe you need to back off to like 14, 16 and get those to be comfortable and healthy for you and then working back up to it. But if you are finding that you're nauseous or shaky after 18 hours of fasting, like you probably need it the most. We just have to work up to it first and you have to make sure that you're doing it in a really healthy and balanced way. Okay, so I mean, if you guys really have tried fasting and then you try these things out and you find healing and you're honest with yourself or you're eating enough when you aren't fasting so when you're feasting you're genuinely feasting eating enough protein and fats and you're healing your body let us know if you enjoyed this podcast this episode just please share please just leave us a review and let us know that this is helpful information and even if you don't agree with us i'd love to hear from you guys that hey, I don't agree because of X, Y, Z, and I'd love to see the studies or, you know, what your own experience has been. I mean, we are open. This is very real talk. It's Our goal is to help more people and to share this message of healing and how meat can heal us, and we want to make sure to be able to do that in the best way possible. So give us your feedback. Okay, well, if you guys enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave us an Apple review. This helps us to get um, in front of other people and so that we can keep sharing a meat-based diet and the realness and healing. And remember, don't forget to cut against the grain. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. 
This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. <laughs>